Ion 2020, episode 39. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Welcome to ION 2020, your source for all of the news and events for leading up to the 2020 election. My name is Ray Eaton and I am your host and I appreciate you joining me today. You might have noticed a new voice yesterday whenever you uh, listen to the show. That was episode 38 and uh, that was my daughter that did that little intro where she said, Ion 2020 episode 38 and uh, I was really proud of her for doing that. She's nine years old and it was just kind of for fun. I was uh, doing a couple of the recordings for the intros, and then she came walking by, so I said, hey, why don't you say it really fast, so I decided to use hers, and uh, just, you know, just for fun, I gotta make this thing fun, right? If you're gonna come out every day and listen to the show, you might as well have a little bit of fun while we're doing it, and uh, I might as well try to make this as fun as possible as well, because the news can be boring searching through that stuff all day long, trying to find you the best information that I can with regards to this 2020 election, so... You know, I might as well have a little fun with it, and that's what I did. Yeah, but anyway, I appreciate you coming out and listening today to the show. Uh, my name is Ray, and I'm your host. This is Ion 2020, the place where you're going to get clear vision for the 2020 election, and that is my goal uh, to help you guys get uh, just the most information you can with regards to this 2020 election that's coming up. Uh, somebody's going to be running against Trump. Somebody on the Democratic ticket will be running against Trump. There's lots of them lining up to uh, try to take this guy out. And, and you know, I'm the one that's going through all that news trying to find that stuff for you as well. There's been a few people that have kind of dipped their toe in the water to run against Trump on the Republican ticket. We've seen Bill Weld try to, you know, he's formed an exploratory committee. And if you go to his little website there, just uh, looking at it, it just shows that he is forming an exploratory committee. It's just trying to get donations and trying to get email addresses and so forth. And that's about it. I went to his website earlier this, early, earlier today, actually, just to see what it said. And it's uh, the typical exploratory committee website where they're just trying to get email addresses, phone numbers, area codes, and uh, or not area codes, zip codes, and then also make a donation if you can. There's no real content on those particular websites. But a lot of these campaign or all, a lot of these campaigns a lot of the democrats that have actually gone from exploratory committee on over to the actually running for president they are starting to put up some content websites where they're actually getting into their platforms and uh, i'm going to explore some of those in the next couple of weeks as well with you just because i think it's interesting to see i went on to a few of their websites earlier this or earlier today, earlier tonight, I went into a few of those websites and saw that you know they're putting out their campaign campaign platforms, and they're all trying to distinguish themselves on this Democratic side between each other on who's going to be running for what and who's going to be doing what, um, what they're what they're going to differentiate themselves on, 
but you probably know there's probably there's not a whole lot of differentiation between some of these people. That's what I've found. Um, but anyway, this is Ion 2020, and I'm bringing you all that news and related events for the 2020 election. And my name is Rayton. Um, if you can go ahead while you got a second, um, subscribe to the show. I'd really love to see a lot more subscribers. Uh, I'm getting more and more downloads every single day, so thanks for joining me. If this is your first time listening, uh, make sure you do subscribe to the show. If you like what you're hearing, if your if your uh, ears dance when you listen to this show, if you really like the content that I'm bringing to you, then go ahead and give me a five-star rating. And uh, go ahead and review the show as well. I'll read those things. If I see some reviews come through, maybe I'll go ahead and read those on the air as well. That would be interesting uh, to read. Can't read any bad ones, though, obviously. Because uh, that would just be that would just uh, be wrong. But I will take those things to heart if I do hear see any bad reviews as well. But if you really want to give me some suggestions on the show, uh, or if you want to follow me, you can follow me at I on the Empire, and that's at Twitter, okay? So go ahead and do that. Go to, go to I on the Empire, or go to Twitter and type in I on the Empire, and, uh, you know, follow me there. And I take criticism well. I really do. I've always believed in being coachable. That's one. That's the salesperson in me. Salespeople need to be coachable and listen to what people say and the suggestions that other people have. Uh, that's always helpful, right? And... Uh, that's one of the things that I will do as your host of Ion 2020 is always take criticism the best that I can. Um, but you know, if you like what you're hearing, go ahead and write me up a five-star rating uh, or five-star rating and uh, and give me a great review as well. That would be very helpful. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, so and all of your podcatchers actually, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, all of those guys, right? So anyway. Let's jump into this, man. I really wanted to bring up some of these candidates and what their platforms are. And I've noticed that just about every single one of them is a minimum wage. Like, they all have that in their platform, right? Raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Now, we've seen this happen in Seattle recently, where maybe it was three or four or five years ago. Seattle, which is, a, I guess, a liberal bastion, um, because they pass all kinds of crazy, just crazy laws all the time, it seems like to me. And Seattle is has raised their minimum wage up to 25 or what is it, $15 an hour. I think they had a couple of inter, intermittent um, minimum wages in between. So I think it went from $9.47 to $13 an hour and then to $15 an hour over the course of maybe three or four years to try to make it not hurt so bad. And recently, on October 22nd, 2018, there was a study done that talked about the impact of the minimum wage being, that, or that the minimum wage going up so high had on Seattle. Because if we're looking at the minimum wage, right, we're going to look at if you take this thing nationally, if you took a minimum wage from, what is it, $7.25 an hour now to $15 an hour nationally, then there's going to be implications. So Seattle was a prime example of the implications that are going to happen in that area. Um, and let, let me get into this article that I found as well. And it just, uh, 
it just says this. Um, researcher, the researchers that, in the article, this is one of the quotes, they say, the researchers estimate that low wages went up more in Seattle than in the counties that didn't increase wages, meaning they could attribute the gains to the minimum wage. So the counties surrounding Seattle versus Seattle itself, the low wages did go up, meaning so, um, but obviously that's true, right? If the other counties did not raise their minimum wages, but Seattle did, then obviously you're going to have lower wages go up, right? But they notice a drop in hours worked. Some workers still came out ahead working few out, fewer hours, but at a higher hourly wage to make up for it. So what happened in Seattle was that employers cut people's hours to compensate for that. So let's say normally they would have came in from 7 to, let's say 7 to 3, right, to make up for the busier hours. Well, maybe the employers would say, hey, we're going to have you come in from 8 to 2, which is the busiest time of the day. And they just cut them down by two hours. And that makes up so that if they were making $10 an hour and they worked eight hours, now they're working six hours at $13 an hour. So it kind of evens them out um, on the numbers. And that's what a lot of employers did, it said. So um, hours work dropped in Seattle after this happened. And then one of the most telling things that I thought was, and this is one of the biggest challenges of minimum wage, is that it helps out the skilled workers by raising this minimum wage, but it did not help out the unskilled workers, the workers that were younger or not skilled. So it says the economists also looked at rates of entry or how many people who did not work before and have no skills entered the labor market following the wage increase. The estimate was right after the minimum wage went up, entry rates flattened and eventually fell as the minimum wage went up further, suggesting less experienced workers were offered fewer opportunities for work. Meanwhile, in neighboring counties, entry rates continued to increase before leveling off in 2017. This led them to conclude Seattle's minimum wage ordinance appears to have delivered higher pay to experienced workers at the cost of reduced opportunity for the inexperienced. And that is the biggest criticism always of minimum wage laws. Uh, is that it puts unexperienced workers, inexperienced workers at a disadvantage because they are forced to, um, or they're not able to work, right? Where, whereas the people that are making eight bucks an hour, seven twenty-five an hour, um, that have the experience, there, you know, the employers are always going to keep on the more experienced people and let go of the inexperienced people, and then also not hire them. So. How does that, that, that gets into what, one of the things I want to talk about was the things seen versus the things not seen, right? Now in that particular area of Seattle, the not seen thing is all the jobs that would have been created at $7.25 an hour or at $8 an hour or whatever, or at $9 or even at $12 an hour, all those jobs that were not created because of this $15 minimum wage and the way that minimum wages, or the, the way that wages are, is that it's a market, right? So if the government comes in and forces people to pay a certain wage, then what the employer is going to do at that point is do a, you know, a cost-benefit analysis of every single employee. So if they have ten employees on, and each of those people are working eight eight hours a day, so they have eighty hours worth of work per 
yeah, 80 hours worth of work per day um, at $10. Let's say the average is $10 an hour. So he's going to pay $800 per day to these employees. What he's going to do is he's gonna, if, the, if that rate goes up to $15 an hour, then he's going to he's going to cut back the hours amount because he still has an $800 budget per day for his employees, right? That's what he's, that's what he's looking at. So, um, all things remaining the same, except for the fact that he has to pay more, he's going to cut hours. He's going to cut, um, the amount of time these people are on. He's going to cut benefits and things of that in order to compensate himself. because he knows that his, the wages he's allowed to, the, the amount of that he's budgeted is, is budgeted for that amount of work is, um, $800, right? Um, so, so currently the federal minimum wage is seven twenty-five an hour. And a lot of these candidates on the democratic ticket, uh, almost every single one of them, I was going through the list of all these candidates and, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren, don't mind my paper, but I'm just going back into some notes. So I got Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard, um, and Amy Klobucker. I, somebody called me out on not pronouncing her name correctly, and uh, I tried to get it right this time. So if you're listening to the show and you're the one that called me out, hopefully I got that right because I really looked into it to figure out how to pronounce Klobucker or Klobuchar is what somebody else sounded like so hopefully that's i think it is klobuchar uh amy klobuchar so she uh, all those people that i just named they are in support of a minimum wage of 15 dollars an hour andrew yang i did not see that he is for the 15 dollar minimum hour minimum wage but he's for like a um the guaranteed personal like the minimum income guarantee where everyone gets like a thousand dollar check per month, no matter who you are from the federal government. So, but all these candidates, they are for a 725 minimum wage going up to $15 an hour. And, uh, it's the federal minimum wage though, cause there's a lot of States and I want to specify this specifically. A lot of States already have raised their minimum wage over 725 an hour. And in that case, if you're looking at the federal minimum wage, is it the federal, from a libertarian standpoint, is it the federal government's job to be involved in minimum wages? That's something, I mean, obviously it deals with interstate commerce maybe, and that's where they would stick their noses in it because of the inter- interstate commerce clause in the Constitution, but is that being mis- misinterpreted? Who knows? Um, I do know this, that back in the 1970s, the Carter administration did a study and did find that minimum wages going up disproportionately hurts younger inexperienced workers that were under the age of 20. So it became a, what would be the word? It became a a topic that a lot of, um, an unpopular policy, that's what it became, an unpopular policy back in the 19 late 1970s because of this study because they just realized that it does it hurts the younger workers it hurts the inexperienced workers on a larger scale than it hurts anybody else and it keeps those people from getting jobs um in order to gain that experience that they need to get higher paying jobs so 
when we when that happened, it was I think it was ten or twelve years until the Congress started looking at raising the minimum wage again. And I think in the you know early nineties, they went up to four twenty five an hour um, because they started looking at it again. But let's look into the history of the minimum wage then, okay, guys? Um, the minimum wage was started in the nineteen thirties as a direct result of um, of unions that were unions that were white 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 workers and unions started to push the federal government and this is in the 1920s um black workers would come in and they would work for a much lower wage than the white workers would and uh, even if even if an employer was racist they would still say hey you know what this guy's gonna do just as good a work as the white guy for a lower wage so i'll go ahead and hire this guy so it was dragging down the wages of the white workers so what they ended up doing is they went to they ended up forming these unions and the unions went to congress and the congress ultimately passed the first minimum wage laws in the 1938 i think is when that was and uh it was a direct result of of white racism at the time um so what it did is it put let's say it put the i'm just using numbers so i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but let's say they put a the white worker was willing to work for three dollars an hour but the um, black workers was was willing to work for two dollars an hour so then they raised the wage up to three dollars an hour so now that employer can look at it and he can say hey you know it doesn't cost me anything to be racist so i'll just go ahead and you know hire these white guys at three dollars an hour and it disproportionately hurt the black community at the time um, what that was the intention that was the specific intention they had all kinds of crazy laws back then um, separate but equal laws and things of that nature um, back then you know so that was a norm within our society politicians always use these minimum wages though in order to gain support uh, from their constituencies because they think that uh, or by saying that oh yeah I'm going to help you to get higher wages then it's going to help those people to that those people in their minds are thinking that it's going to help them out right so moving on so minimum wage hurt the poor minorities um disproportionately at the time when it was started right it did i mean that's all it did it was it hurt those minority people um the minorities and the poor the low skilled labor it hurt them and it did not hurt those people that were you know the higher skilled labor because they were already getting, already getting paid more so when you look at minimum wages you're going to be the the unskilled the new workers the kids that are coming out of high school that need jobs um or even the kids that are in high school that need jobs are going to have a harder time finding jobs i remember when i was a kid when i was a young man um i i was in fifth grade and i wanted i wanted a skateboard and my mother looked at me and she said well you guess i guess you got to go get a job then fifth grade what are you 11 years old at the time and i said well what am i going to do my mom took me down to a laundromat not your normal laundromat where people are doing their laundry at their house but this was like an industrial laundromat where this guy owned it and he had probably 25 workers in there washing sheets pillowcases towels and everything for the hotels around Kissimmee, florida and uh, my mom took me down there because she knew him and she said hey can you give my son a job he'll work this guy paid me uh, this is the early, late late 80s i guess and uh, this guy paid me a dollar 50 an hour i think it was um but i was more than willing to go do it man i mean 
I really was because I wanted to get that skateboard, right? I think I worked some days, I would work like 10 hours, 12 hours. At 11 years old, I'd be there from noon until midnight sometimes, even later than that. I remember one specific day I worked, I think, 15 hours. So would I make, um, you know, 25 bucks or something? But to me, that was big money, and it was help me to get, help me, helping me to get my skateboard. So I was willing to work at that point. I remember my first job was at a Taco Bell. Four twenty-five an hour, and I was happy to do it, man. I really was. But you know what? I got some, I got some work skills going at the time, and uh, four twenty-five an hour. I worked there for about nine months, and then I quit that job and I went to work at Disney World, and I think that they were paying me six dollars and fifty cents an hour, so that was a huge pay increase for me at the time, right? And but they wouldn't have hired me if I didn't have that experience at Taco Bell. So if you're always looking for better opportunities, they're going to arise. And that's what the minimum wage does. It helps you to get that nine months under your belt to go get a better job. But if you've been there for two years, still making a minimum wage, um, you know what? Maybe you should try to go out and find a better gig then. Um, that, that would be my recommendation to you. So but minimum wages, they're just a floor for the employer now, right, on what they're able to pay. So they're not going to hire somebody. Let's say there's a $7.25 minimum wage right now. They're not going to hire somebody that has the six, a $6 per hour productivity. They won't because they're not going to be able to make money off of it. So, for example, if you go out and you buy an apple for a dollar and you can sell it for $1.25, then that's a profit for you. But if you buy that apple for a dollar and you can only sell it for $0.75, cents, Obviously, that's not a good investment for you. Even if it's for a dollar, it's not a good investment for you, right? Same thing with labor. If you can, if you hire somebody and they're going to do six dollars worth of work, and you got to pay them seven twenty-five, that's not going to be a benefit to you to hire that person. So you're just not going to do it. So you lose those jobs, like the the guys at the gas station pumping gas, things like that, low skilled labor, things that don't require a lot of skill. You're going to lose those types of employees. Um, those types of jobs out there, those types of uh, the 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 um, bag boys at Publix or bag boys at your grocery stores, right? Some stores still have them, but there's not one bag boy at, or bag boy or girl. I guess we'll be more politically correct on this show, right? There's not one bag bag kid per lane any, anymore. It's like one person covering two or three different. Uh, lanes, and then you're not having that person walk you out to the to your car and load your car for you anymore. Not as much as you used to. Some stores still do that, but you don't have it happening for every single customer all day long because the stores just can't afford it at that seven twenty-five an hour. Um, same thing with your McDonald's stores. Now you're getting lots and lots of McDonald's stores that are going towards an automation process where they're having you. Um, go up and you are the cashier. You're the person that is putting in your own order, right? And then they're just, what they do at that point is they'll say, hey, go get, go to your table and we'll bring it to you. So it becomes a kind of like a ca- fast casual style going on, but you're putting in your own orders. Or you can go up to the, you could go to the store and you could park in a specific parking spot and you type in your order and they bring it out to your car rather than you going through the drive through So they're trying to do things in order to lower the labor costs at these stores and the reason why is because of the um 
because of the higher wages. Because, I mean, if, if it costs you $3 an hour to hire somebody, or it's going to cost you $10,000 to get a uh, computer to do it, right? Versus $10 an hour or a computer to do it, it might be more the, the cost-benefit analysis might be, hey, we want a friendly face at the cash register smiling. But at $15 an hour, nope, we're okay with a um, a computer screen where you type in all your own information. Uh, it doesn't hurt our business at all. So that's what that's what the employers are going to be looking at when you're looking at a when you're looking at um, these minimum wages going up. So this is what the this is what a higher minimum wage does. It, it causes businesses to um, or it causes less skilled workers to not have jobs, right? Um, less hours worked by those to, to keep their jobs, and then it causes more automation. Along with something that I came across as well, is that when you're looking at a company that has to pay higher wages, right? Like, obviously, Democrats, we don't care, not we, because I'm not a Democrat, but Democrats don't care about companies, corporations, big bad corporations, and all that, right? Um, but the very thing that they are trying to do, which is increase these minimum wages, is a benefit to the corporation. And the reason why I say that is this. Larger businesses like McDonald's, Target, Walmart, Amazon, um, Kohl's, like these larger corporations, Disney World, for example, uh, they can handle the increased wages for that per- a period of time, right? Because they have access to capital markets that other businesses don't have. They have access to extra savings. They have access to stocks. Uh, they have access to things that'll help them to get through the hard times. They could take out loans and things like that a lot easier than your mom and pop shops, right? So the smaller business, on the other hand, across the street, you have a, you have a McDonald's and you have a Jim's Burger joint across the street. Jim's Burger joint has maybe one or two locations, he might have 10 locations, but he doesn't have, you know, 10,000 locations to distribute that cost across, right? So when he starts trying to be more competitive, he's not going to have access to go get the automation tools that McDonald's can have. He's not going to have the ability to um, have those self, self-checkout counters like what Walmart has, things of that nature, things that are going to help to lower the cost of labor, He's not going to have access to the the. He's not going to have the capital access that these larger companies do to get through those storms. So what happens is Jim Bob's Burgers across the street from McDonald's goes out of business, and you're left with just McDonald's, Burger King, and a few of these other burger joints as well. Even Burger King is having troubles nowadays as well, right? They're not having an easy time competing in this market. You can see it just by going into their stores. So, um. When the Democrats say they want to increase the minimum wage, not only does it hurt the very people that are trying to help, but it helps the corporations that they are trying that they are so dead set against, right? So then you have increased profits at the top. You have those um, those presidents and those CEOs and those executives that have these huge paychecks because of the very thing that they eliminated competition by increasing minimum wages across the board. So um, I just wanted to get it, get all this out today because this idea of having a $15 minimum wage, while it sounds really good, while these Democrats really think it's a great way to buy more votes and get more people on board with their message of 
um, this socialist agenda that they seem to have. I just think it's a really bad, a really bad idea, and that is why. Um, so let's get into some figures really fast as well that I want to talk about. Um, eighty million. There's eighty million hourly workers in America. Okay, one point eight million of those, or two point three percent of workers, earn seven twenty five per hour. Two point three percent of workers. Um, Four hundred thousand of those, twenty two percent. So almost a quarter of those are age sixteen to nineteen. So when you raise the minimum wage, you're gonna have a quarter of young people, right? A quarter of those young people, 400,000 of them, that are now out looking for jobs that they can't find. Okay? How does that how does that hold up for those younger people? They say the idle mind is the devil's playground. That's 400,000 idle minds that are probably not gonna have jobs now. And you know what? Another thing that I've noticed, because my nephew was trying to find a job in the past, when he was 16 years old, he wanted to get a job at a restaurant. The only way for him to get a job at a restaurant was because my wife, who used to work in, or manage in restaurants in the Orlando area, was able to find him a job through a friend of hers that was managing a restaurant, right? But it was very hard for him to get an interview at the age of 16 because of the way that these laws are set up now for young for young workers as well as for these you know these higher wages that they have to pay these kids as well just was not beneficial but that's what you're looking at um okay 400,000 or 22% of these 725 an hour workers are age 16 to 19 900,000 of those or 50% of the minimum wage workers are under 25. So they're young and inexperienced workers. A lot of them are in college, working at the bookstore, working wherever, McDonald's or one of the restaurants around the area of the school. Uh, But 50% of those people are young people under 25. And then I've also heard a statistic that quite a few of those people are also retirees who are no longer needing like a full-time job. They're just working part-time, right? or moms that are working part-time as well. So you can't just take that number and think, oh, all these everyone's working for the minimum wage because they're not. Um, most workers work for more than minimum wage, and it's mostly the inexperienced, unskilled labor that's working for the minimum wage. So let's get off of this idea, guys, that this minimum wage is a good idea um, of $15 an hour because all it's going to do is hurt the people that it's trying to help. And... Uh, that isn't the idea of legislation, but you know, as a libertarian, is it even the government's role to get involved in businesses, right? And what they do. A job is a contract between an employee and an employer, and it wasn't until 1938 that the government legislated anything to do with the minimum wages. Um, it was t- at the tail end of the of the um, Great Great Depression that this happened, and. If you if you were to challenge that at the Supreme Court, it probably wouldn't. I mean, it, it probably would still stay that you can have minimum wages at the federal level. But my God, um, it does more damage than good. And when people on the Democratic ticket, when all these candidates are for this minimum wage, I just think it's more just to buy the votes, and that's that's my opinion. But. Um, it's it's got to be just a lack of understanding of of the economics of the minimum wage, but they don't want to look at it like that, though, right? They just want to 
um, appeal to the the emotions of the constituency is what a lot of this what a lot of this boils down to I think so anyway my name is Ray and I hope you got a lot out of this episode today um, this is ion 2020 your place to find all of the news and the information related to the 2020 election that's coming up and also I'm going to try to bring out some of these campaign issues some of the things that these people are running on and just bring your libertarian take on that okay I am not one of those that's like I'm not, I'm not a shill for corporations by any means I think that um from a libertarian perspective a corporation is just a protected entity that the that the that that uh that the government established it in the first place, right? So I don't even think, from a legal standpoint, there should even be corporations because of that. So you can't call me a shill for corporations by saying I'm for the minimum wage. I'm a, I'm a shill for the people that it hurts. And when something when something like the minimum wage hurts the people that it's trying to help, um, I just think it's more to buy the votes than anything else. And these politicians are wrong in doing that they need to look at the facts of the matter and the facts of the matter is that hurts unskilled labor of kids that are trying to get a leg up in the world and um, that's my opinion but it's also a fact so anyway guys um ion 2020 your place for all the news and the related events of this 2020 election my name is ray and i'm your host Go ahead and subscribe to the show right now while you got a second, and then come back tomorrow so you can have clear vision for the 2020 election.